Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A dram of whiskey is one of life's little pleasures, but have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are actually in your glass? Well, one measure of scotch contains one unit of alcohol. Holyrood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign to help us all understand how much alcohol we're really drinking. Find out more at scotch-whiskey.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. The podcast starts now. We have consulted on what level the council tax should be next year. A conference, we have listened and we have reached our decision. I can announce to the people of Scotland that next year your council tax will be frozen. And that's the SNP delivering for people when they need it the most. Hello and welcome to Holyrood Sources. We're recording on the morning of Wednesday, the 18th of October. I'm Callum McDonald. Thank you for being here. I was about to say we're all fresh after conference, uh, the SNP conference in Aberdeen, but I'm not sure fresh is exactly the right word. Um, also on the podcast, as always, Jeff Aberdeen, former chief of staff to Alex Salmond when he was first minister. Hello, Jeff. Yes, good morning. And Andy McKeever's here, former director of communications to the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Hello, good morning. You were making the most of the free pastries and things at conference, weren't you? I saw you didn't, dipping in and out of various... I, um, I had. Uh, I managed to get myself a bacon... Uh, usually at these things, I just base myself in the Heathrow Lounge because I have clients there and I'm just doing meeting after meeting. And for listeners, the Heathrow Lounge is, the, is basically the free coffee and food stop that Heathrow Airport <laughs> sponsor at conference every year. Um, so I, had, I, I managed to get myself a bacon roll... Uh, there were a few pastries. Pastries were had. Pastries Good. were had. Pastries were consumed. You heard it here first. Uh, right, okay, we're obviously here. By the way, thanks for listening to the pub episode. That's still in your feed if you've not heard it yet. That was what became the event of conference. I'm not even making that up. It was brilliant. Uh, so Jeff's company, True North, uh, put on a wonderful free bar at number 10 in Aberdeen. How <laughs> 
<laughs> How was it for you, Jeff, when you saw the receipt? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was quite, uh, shall we say, punishing for the for the books. Um, but I, th- I thought, you know, it was quite interesting um, talking about the event and listening to some of the feedback. You know, we tried something new and uh, had a lot of comments actually saying that they really enjoyed it, but one or two saying that they didn't quite like the background noise and it didn't quite work. But you know what? Um, That is what a conference fringe event is like. Um, And I thought we'd give a decent kind of um, summary of, of, of what it feels like to be at one of these events. So I quite enjoyed doing it, actually. I don't know if we'll do it again or not, but it was good fun. It was good fun. It was good fun. We had some great people on. That's the other thing to mention. It wasn't just us three, you know, larking around in the corner. There were some great people on the podcast as well. Um, so yeah, go and have a little listen back to that and let us know what you think. You can email hello at hollywoodsources.com. Right, we gather here today to reflect then on Hamza Yusuf's first speech as SNP leader at conference. Now, it's worth saying once again, that this whole conference and the speech had to be given in the most difficult of personal circumstances for Hamza Yusuf. Um, about an hour before he went on stage, I was interviewing his wife, uh, who has handled herself with absolutely brilliant integrity, dignity, etc. Uh, this is Nadia El Nakla, whose family, whose parents had travelled to Gaza, they're stuck in Gaza right now, visiting um, extended family. And yeah, I was speaking to her an hour before Hamza Yusuf went on stage. And at that point, she had just come off the phone with her family in Gaza. And um, one of her relatives, one of her young relatives, had been covered in shrapnel by late, the latest attack. Uh, the previous night, her neighbours had actually been killed um, uh, uh, by an attack. Their house had been hit. And she was just speaking really about the need for humanitarian aid and the idea actually that, you know, these are human beings that are affected by this. Um, what Her cousin who was hurt, by the way, was a two-year-old who had shrapnel injuries. Her brother, who works in a hospital... She said that he was having to choose who to treat and who not to treat because they're running out of medical supplies. I mean, the situation is dire. And so that is the personal backdrop against which Hamza Yusuf was delivering his speech yesterday. Uh, And then also there's the political context, of course, um, in that he needed to try to bring together a united party. And I suppose, Jeff, the message from the SNP in the build-up was very much this is going to be policy heavy. This is going to feed feed the beast, as it were, but give people an idea of what Hamza Yusuf really wants to pursue. Uh, and the papers this morning, quite interesting, the Scotsman front page, Yusuf under fire for U-turn over freeze on council tax. Uh, the Herald on this, Yusuf vows council tax freeze in election run-up. Uh, there's a couple of other front pages as well that we'll get to in a sec. Uh, but the council tax freeze was the was the big one. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I think what you said there in the intro is really, really important um, and shouldn't be forgotten, uh, the, circ- the personal circumstances in which uh, the First Minister had to deliver this speech. And you're absolutely right. I echo everything you've said. I think he's carried himself um, uh, with uh, grace and dignity um, throughout what is a hugely challenging time for him. I just want to go back before we get to the speech itself, uh, though, and consider the political context. Um I think those around Hamza and Hamza himself will be pretty pleased with the week that the, the SNP have had, particularly in the wake of what was uh, a, a huge reversal in Rother Glen and 
you know, there was a lot of people questioning, you know, the future of the party at that point. You know, it was uh, it was quite a dramatic uh, result, and they needed to find a platform, find something uh, to move forward with, and I think they've done uh, that uh, this week. Um, it wasn't a particularly um, um, effervescent, to use that word again from the pub episode, um, <laughs> well conference. Um, I, I, I think there was a lot of people saying, yep, yeah, there wasn't as many people there as normal and, 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 and it was a little bit flat at times. But, but nonetheless, I think uh, the SNP will be pretty pleased that Hums has provided uh, his party with a, a platform moving forward. Now, to the, to the policies uh, that were uh, you mentioned. For, firstly, the council tax. I have to say I was quite surprised at this one, um, not least because of the Verity House Agreement, which was signed um, uh, between Shona Robeson and local authorities, COSLA, the umbrella body for local authorities, not that long ago. And uh, Section um, 4 of that um, agreement basically talks to uh, the fact that there there will be you know joint decisions on funding. There won't be any diktats from uh, the, the Scottish uh, government at all. And, and I paraphrase, it says, powers for funding for local government will be reviewed regularly to ensure adequacy and alignment with effective delivery outcomes. The, the powers held by local authorities shall normally be full and exclusive and they will not be undermined or limited by another central or regional authority. So I think there's going to be a bit of fallout here with the councils, uh, no doubt. But I, I think what he's doing here um, is he's recognised uh, that the the result uh, in in Rutherglen and listening to uh, people on the doorsteps think we're just hard pressed here, and, and he's trying to say, okay, we understand that and demonstrate that we're trying to to uh, help people through a cost of living uh, crisis. Now, there's lots of people arguing that actually it puts money in the, the pockets of the wealthy and all the rest, but but the biggest thing for me, uh, Callum, and I will shut up mm. shortly on this is <laughs> if we if we think about some of the policies towards the end of Nicola Sturgeon's tenure in government uh, around DRS is a perfect example. DRS is an absolute honourable aim um, and, a, and a, a policy that should have been taken forward. But it was, I think the SNP's lack of um, campaigning for it, explaining what the, the economic rationale was, how it would help lower emissions, really explaining a positive context for it that, that let that policy down. And so it's important now that with this new policy platform of a council tax freeze that they make the case for it and don't just say it and then that's it, we don't hear about it again, that they properly mm. campaign for it. And I think that's a lesson they must learn from the latter years of Sturgeon in uh, government. And uh, finally, let me just say beyond that, I thought that the, the supply chain um, uh, announcement, the £500 million to inject and support a... Um, uh, a, a domestic supply chain for offshore wind is really well intentioned. The devil's in the detail. We need to learn a little bit more about how this will be administered. But certainly, uh, if we're trying, going to try and grow and accelerate and catalyze a supply chain for offshore wind, we need to incentivize it because a lot of the projects that we've talked about on this podcast before are not ready available at, at scale just now. So they need that support. So that's really welcome as well. And a statement of intent uh, in terms of how they view the green industrialization of Scotland. And I'll let Andy speak now. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to mention, just as an interlude, that you're, yeah, you're right. So on council tax, COSLA, the body that represents local authorities, it's complained already that it was given no advance warning of the decision. It says it would cause problems during a period of acute financial pressures. I think there's a suggestion, isn't there, that there's now going to be a meeting between, uh, I think, potentially Shona Robson and COSLA in the coming days. 
Um, and also, I'm quite interested in, uh, and perhaps we can pick up on this either with Andy or Min, but the Greens, the Scottish Greens, um, seem to be pretty cheesed off as well. Ross Greer, their finance spokesman, warned that social care services, schools and nurseries would be at risk of cuts because of the plans. Um, it did emerge after the speech that the Greens were only told about it shortly before it was announced. Uh, Ross Greer saying, we're concerned about the effect this freeze could have on already strained frontline public services if it's not properly funded. It strikes me, though, that, uh, that you know, kind of little, little rift with the Greens like this might be a, a political upside in some ways for Hamza Youssef, who might be looking to create a bit of distance with the Scottish Greens. Anyway, go on, Andy. Yeah, well, I mean, I will pick up on that as well. Um, it's nice of Jeff to give me a, a turn, actually. It's unusual, but he must be in a good mood this morning. Um, I think that the, there's a few interesting backdrops here. The most interesting of which I think is that we're watching a party reacting to losing, in many cases, for the first time. So there are a lot of people in this party who've really never lost before, Um Think how quickly it expanded after the referendum and after 2015 and all of that. Uh, you've got swathes and swathes of members and elected members who've never lost and who don't really understand what uh, losing means. Obviously, with my political background, I know all about it. I'm not really sure what winning's like. Um, you could offer coaching. I could, I, indeed. I could make a good living out of that. Um, <laughs> The, and I think some of the reaction to that has been very interesting because I think your last point there about um, the Greens is I, I just wonder if there is a little bit of a quiet revolution underway where um, the SNP are beginning to understand that actually if you've got 64 seats and your coalition partners have got eight then you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to have the upper hand. You're supposed to be able to do the things that you want to do um, and put them on the back foot a little bit and say, well, actually, you know, um, uh, if you've got a problem with it, then what are you going to do about it? And the council tax freeze is an interesting example of that. One of the reasons why the SNP lost in Rutherglen is because they didn't understand what your middling sort of person was looking for. That sort of person, and we've seen this from polling over the last few months, um, you know, the SNP are losing the middle class vote. They're losing it in the main to Labour. Um, they don't think they are getting value from the higher taxes that we have in Scotland. And there have been two proposals in recent times, one to increase income tax and one to increase council tax. And Anas Sarwar has come out very strongly against both of those proposals. Um, I don't think it is therefore an accident that this has happened after Rutherglen. I think it's a reaction, a, a straight reaction to what happened in Rutherglen and the fact that Anas Sarwar is stamping on that middle, middle ground territory. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see if there are any more reactions from that. That will not please the Greens. What happened there will not please the Greens. They don't want to be seen to be in any way a party of lower tax. They don't want to be involved in a government that's a party of lower uh, tax either. So that's, that is that uh, is one of the more interesting things to come from the speech yesterday. It's obviously the headline in most of the papers today. Um, Jeff mentioned a couple of other things. I think the bond that is being um, introduced for the first time in Scotland is interesting, as well as the 500 million uh, for um, for jobs in the offshore industry. That 500 million, of course, and the Scottish government know this, that needs a little bit of market certainty by those who are going to invest. Um, and that gets us back to 
hydrocarbons as well. When you look at that, you look at tax, you look at capital, you look at investment. That is a departure for the Scottish government. That is not the Scottish government of the Green Coalition. It's not necessarily the Scottish government of Nicola Sturgeon either. To me, I don't think we should read too much into it just yet, but to me it is potentially a bit of a departure from what we've seen before. It's a bit of understanding of the reality of life now and that we need to inject something into this economy. So I think from that point of view, um, it's a watch this space situation, but it's it, from their point of view, I think probably quite encouraging. Just to finish off, uh, I'll finish on the point that Jeff started at. Um, I mean, we, we've, we've covered obviously this in, uh, in the last couple of podcasts, but um, for all the wrong reasons, I'm sure he wouldn't have wanted it to be this way. This has been Hamza Yusuf's best week as First Minister. Um, I think this has been the week where he has emerged from being the kind of unfortunate manager of a set of pretty crappy circumstances when he came into that job um, with the police investigation, with the polling trend going down, uh, problems in the coalition, all that sort of thing. And I think this week he has really stepped in to the role of being a first minister. And interestingly, there are quite a lot of people across the political spectrum um, would agree with that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I think that conference is always a week where you want good headlines to come out of it. You want to be positive coming out of it. I think Hamza Yusuf can be pretty satisfied uh, with the week he's had um, politically. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, just on the polling, actually, I was just having a little look. Uh, polling. This is polling analysis from the Sunday Times. Backing for the SNP among 25 to 49-year-olds had fallen by 14 points since May, by 11 points with middle-class voters as taxes rise in Scotland and public services struggle. There was an interesting question in the aftermath, uh, aftermath Jeff, about why uh, Hamza Yusuf had decided to go for a council tax rather than a tax that the Scottish government control directly, like income tax. So kind of, in, you know, in some ways, passing it on to local authorities to sort of take the hit. Now, the Scottish government said they're going to fully fund it. They're not quite sure how much that's going to cost. And it is worth saying this is a popular policy with the SNP, uh, you know, freezing council tax. This is something that they've gone for before. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, just a bit of a history lesson uh, for us all, <laughs> um, for those that don't remember, but when I was in government, we had a pledged to scrap the council tax, which I remember at the time uh, proved to be quite um, difficult to enact. Um, uh, we were proposing a local income tax at the time. And so uh, in lieu of that, as that didn't go forward, uh, the party chose to um, uh, freeze the council uh, tax and, and it was done so for a number of uh, years. I think the answer to your question, though, Callum, lies in what Andy's just said. I, I do agree that I think it was a, a direct response to um, the Rutherglen uh, by-election result. Um, and they, as Andy points out, uh, Anna Sarwar had been very vociferous in his opposition to these kind of tax rises. And so they wanted to try and play on that same territory uh, and say, you know, we're listening and we're hearing. Now, you know, we can, there will be a lot of discussion about the rights and wrongs of this policy, which is why it's so important that the, the SP go full square and campaign behind it uh, going forward. If I make another uh, quick point about polling, I also noticed yesterday there was analysis of a Savanta poll that put the SNP and Labour on the same number of seats, 40 seats, 
uh, yesterday by uh, that great guy. I don't know who he is, but there's great analysis ballot box Scotland, and, he, and it, his projection is 40 seats apiece. So it does rather remind us that the SNP are are still facing a hugely uphill challenge in terms of uh, uh, getting back uh, lost uh, ground, and that shouldn't be lost. Another just quick comment, I don't know if we're going to get to this, uh, was some questions around social media and in the commentary about this speech itself and the delivery, and I, I just want to touch on this because obviously I've prepped a lot of First Ministers, um, or, or one First Minister in particular, but other senior ministers uh, before they do big set-piece conference speeches, and I thought it, it was quite a well-structured speech in terms of uh, there was a coherent kind of theme to it across this is the, the situation we see it and this is our answer to that situation. So I thought it had quite a, a bit of coherence to it. I don't think his delivery was particularly uh, good. That would be something I'd be working on. We're going to have to give him a pass on that for his own personal circumstances, what he had to deal with this week as well. And also the fact that, you know, it's his first one at scale um, uh, of this scale as well. So I think that will improve over time, I just felt that there's some um, kind of artificial emphasis put on some points that didn't quite work for me. I kind of felt that there's a he's got a bit of a drawl at the end of certain sentences where you kind of tails off and you, you're not really sure um, um, uh, how that features in terms of bringing the speech together. So these are the types of little techniques and, and things that I, I pick up on, given that I've been around these people before before they do speeches. I, I think. What's going to be most interesting to look out for going forward now that they've had the conference, and they should be relatively pleased, I believe, is now delivery. Um, I touched it before and on perhaps the, the latter period of Sturgeon years and, 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 and that announcing things perhaps without really going full square behind them, explaining the rationale appropriately to the to the people. That has to be done, all these policies that are announced and the problems that are already out there as well. Um, but overall, if I'm, you know, uh, Kevin Pringle um, or Colin McAllister, two senior advisors, I'm going away going, thank goodness, breathe a sigh of relief. We're probably, you know, they'll probably feel that we're back in the game. We've got some sort of platform to move forward. And that's probably the most they could have expected from this uh, conference. Now they need to deliver. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting session, actually, after the Tatty Holidays, um, um, to see how uh, that actually uh, materialises in, in terms of discourse. Do you know, there's interesting, so the, the back in the game phrase is quite interesting because, I mean, the mood at conference was quite low. Mm-hmm. It was quite low. It was quite subdued. It was quieter in terms of the actual number of people there, but also the mood was quite subdued. Um, it felt like people were sort of searching around and wondering why everything wasn't going terribly well anymore. But in actual fact, if you... Okay, Rutherglen was Rutherglen. And as we've said before, <clears throat> I have particular views on by-elections here. And to be honest with you, when you have a situation where... Here we are you still talking about it. Been in, and here we are still talking about it. But, but they don't matter, guys. They seconds, don't matter. They don't. Less than 30 seconds. <laughs> when you have a party that has been in government for 17 years and you have an MP who's been arrested for breaking COVID rules <laughs> and you have an opposition who for the first time have actually become credible, you should expect, and it's a seat that Labour won in 2017, yeah. you should be expecting to lose that by-election and expecting to lose it heavily. That's what happens in the mid-term of governments, right? But 
if you, if you sort of eliminate the by-election, the reality is that polling is actually stabilised for the SNP. There was a long period of time um, where Labour polling, for about a year, for about this time last year, where Labour polling started to quite significantly uptick and SNP polling started to go uh, down. And it wasn't all transferring to Labour because Labour were actually getting most of their extra votes from the Tories, but that's a slightly different question. Um, but that polling has actually, if you look at the charts, the polling has stabilised. And in most polls, the SNP is still ahead. Um, that leads to them being ahead in most seat projections for Westminster, not all, but most, and being ahead in most seat projections for Holyrood. Again, not all, but mostly the SNP are still in the lead. So there's a little bit of context as well in that our politics is more normal now. Our polling is more normal like it would be in other countries in that you don't have uh, one party running away um, with a lead in a, a proportional representation system. But the SNP is still winning. It's not actually losing. Uh, and I did think that when I was up in Aberdeen this weekend, I was walking around the conference that felt like it was losing that felt like it was under the cosh. And I think that just goes to show again the point I made earlier on, that they're just not used to this. They don't really understand how to respond to being on the back foot. And that's what will make the next few months really pretty interesting. Uh, they now don't have a by-election um, in Lisa Cameron's seat, obviously, because she decided to join the Tories. Um, so, And we've talked about that. We talked about a potential by-election in Fergus Ewing's seat, which looks like it's I don't know if it's off the table or not, but it doesn't look like it's necessarily likely anymore. So they might have a period where they can actually just stabilise and see where the numbers go and see, where the, see how the polling reacts to the steps they've taken this weekend. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. Did you know that the recommended weekly limit of 14 units of alcohol equates to five pints of beer at average strength, or one and a half bottles of wine, or 14 single measures of spirits? If you didn't know that, well, you're not alone, actually. The majority of people who choose to drink alcohol do not know how many units are contained in the most common drinks. Informed consumers, though, make more responsible choices – and so the Made to Be Measured campaign is supporting people across Scotland to understand more about the units in their glass. Made in Scotland and enjoyed around the world, Scotch whisky should always be enjoyed responsibly. Find out more by visiting scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. 
it's quite interesting what you said about the, the atmosphere around conference, Andy, because I, I was having to, I've never been in the thick of an SMP conference like that. So I was kind of basing a lot of the, you know, what was it like in the past from just speaking to other journalists, other people around. But what actually has stayed with me is a couple of delegates, in fact, a married couple who I was speaking to yesterday morning, pre-speech. And, uh, you know, we were just chit-chatting and, and I kind of said, well, what are you looking for in the speech then? And they said, we just want something that we can take to our friends to sort of point to and mm. give them some hope. And I thought that was really interesting because actually those are SNP delegates. You know, they said uh, their guy, George, he'd been coming to SNP conferences for dec- literally decades. And that was what they said was they just want a message to walk out with and to be able to say to people, look, here's what the SNP can do. Um, I'm just wondering if they feel, I, I wish I'd been able to catch them afterwards. I just wonder if they feel they've got that now, if they've got some solid things to go away and chat to their friends about around the dinner table or whatever. Um, what do you reckon, Jeff? Is, is there kind of, I mean, there are tangible things in there now, which perhaps were lacking before. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, if I were to characterise the last 18 months, two years of Scottish politics, I think the sentiment that you picked up from those two voters is absolutely spot on. In my conversations, a lot of my friends were yes voters. Um, and I say were because now they're, they're kind of questioning that o- openly. But a lot of them were also SNP voters. And, you know, a lot of the, 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 the press coverage, a lot, the, the, whether it's unfair or not, the perception has been that this party is kind of running its course and it's not really doing anything for, you know, me as, a, as an individual or my family, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the concentration of focus was on issues that they viewed as quite arbitrary and not particularly relevant to their everyday lives. And I think that was a lot of the point of the, you know, Hamza's speech yesterday was to address that sentiment and to say, okay, we are listening. And um, on the council tax speech uh, announcement, that was a deliberate play to say there's something tangible that we're trying to do to try and uh, address something that you're facing in terms of your household bills. Again, we know this is going to be very controversial as Parliament reopens going forward, but certainly I feel that um, sentiment that you picked up is what they've picked up as a party and are seeking to address. Yeah. Um, and so, Andy, where do we go from here then? So I'm, I'm trying to sort of pin down, I guess, the, the rhythm of the next few months. So the Herald's observation is that the council tax uh, freeze would, um, uh, would be particularly pertinent to the next general election, perhaps. Uh, the, the Herald piece says, his aides later denied the change of plan was linked to the general election next year, leading to laughter from the media in the post-speech briefing, uh, which is true, I was there. Uh, there was quite a sort of... Um, uh, you know, brushing off of, well, you know, when Rishi Sunak chooses to have an election, it's up to him, really. You know, if if it was up to us, we'd have it tomorrow. Da, da, da. You know, all that sort of good political um, <laughs> fun. But I'm just sort of trying to map out the next few months um, in terms of for the SNP, but then also for Anna Sarwar, because does he look at that speech yesterday and go, what do I have to do? How do, how do I kind of get in front of this? Um, how would you strategize around that? Well, the council tax freeze was aimed at Anas Sarwar, as I said, because yeah. he um, has uh, planted his tank on the sort of centrist lawn, and that was aimed at him. And, uh, you know, I think the reason they've chosen council tax is very clear, which is that it is the one that is it's probably the tax that's most 
uh, applicable to individuals. It's the one that individuals can probably understand the best. Um, council tax is something that you physically see coming out of your bank account every month as a direct debit. You can see if it's gone up. You can see if it's gone down. Well, it never goes down, obviously. Um, income tax is a little bit different. Um, you you don't really feel it. Uh, you feel the pain from income tax, but you don't really necessarily notice the difference very much because it's never actually your money in the first place. You're never having to give it away again. So I think the choice of council tax is quite deliberate. Um, it will lead to controversy. As you say, there's an emergency meeting with COSLA this morning. I think our uh, podcaster from a few weeks ago, Andy Whiteman, has had plenty to say about it because he um, just reading spoke his thread, uh, during the podcast. Yeah, he spoke during the podcast, if you remember, about uh, the yeah. council tax. And in fact said in one moment that um, if this was Germany, John Swinney would have been pulled in front of the Constitutional Court for what he did with council <laughs> tax um, back in the day. So, uh, you know, there are there are a lot of very good and reasonable arguments why this was inappropriate yesterday in terms of um, the uh, Verity House Agreement, uh, in terms of the relationship between local and central government. But the reality is the SNP are not going to care about that because this is about the fact that there's an election coming up. This is about being able to say that they are putting money into people's pockets. And as I say, I think the most important thing that has come from this is that it appears to me that that is part of a recognition by the SNP that they have moved too far away from the centre ground. Um, and I, I then wonder what's to come. You know, they have talked about an income tax rise that has gone down like a lead balloon in polling. It's gone down like a lead balloon with businesses who are very worried. There's already a, a brain drain problem in Scotland. Um, there is already a gap between, between income tax in England and Scotland. There are concerns about what that is doing uh, in terms of brain drain. There are concerns about what the university tuition fees model is doing in terms of brain drain because lots of Scottish kids can't get into Scottish universities and so they're going to England and people are worried they're not going to come back. So there are lots of issues that businesses have. And, and I, I am now expecting, to be honest with you, I am now expecting to see the SNP quietly getting rid of their proposal to put income tax up. They may feel they need to find money from elsewhere. I would actually argue they need to look at cutting some spending in some areas rather mm. than continually finding more tax money. Um, I don't think that's an argument they're ready to make yet. I think the cutting spending argument is uh, is too much for them at the moment. Um, but I think they'll find, if they need to find some extra money, I think they're going to find it from somewhere else. I, I just don't think they're going to go there on income tax now, especially if they think that the council tax policy announcement is having some reasonable results. Can I come in there very quickly, Callum? Yeah. Um, firstly, when you mentioned brain drain, I kind of feel it. Quarter past six in the morning when we're recording this, um, we are uh, evident. We're the visual interpretation of the brain drain. <laughs> Because I can't, I cannot engage. Rallies. I cannot engage my brain to let it drain. In all honesty, um, but um, isn't it funny? We've had a conversation, um, pushing on twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes now about the conference, and then we're thinking about what it means next and the general election. Yet we haven't actually talked about independence, and yeah, I think that's quite true. funny. Um, and in a way, for a party that um, you know stands for that more than anything else, and. This is the bit of the elephant in the room, um, and I've, I've given a lot of credit to the SNP for the way they handle the conference and the circumstances and the context and some of their announcements. What 
do the SNP do now in terms of putting this forward? They've got some unity behind the position. I'm still, I'll be honest with you, you know, some, we said this in the WhatsApp, well, de facto is gone, Jeff. And I was like, well, is it? Or, or is it not? I'm not entirely sure. Mm. And listen, I live and breathe this stuff. So I'm not really sure exactly what the proposition is. I'm pretty sure that the vast population of Scotland is not going to know what the proposition is. And I feel that what will be most in, in telling and interesting, uh, we're going to have a parliamentary session, both at Westminster and at Holyrood, where I think they're going to be fighting a lot more on the issues that we've discussed. And I get that. Mm. And I think that's the right thing to do. But there is this... Um, elephant in the room that transcends that, they've still got to make the case for independence. And as I understand it is a majority of seats will allow us the mandate to negotiate for either having a referendum or the powers to have that referendum. Now, if that's the position, fair enough, that's been set upon and if there is party behind that, but my goodness, you're going to have to explain that on the doorsteps if it's going to be, as Hamza said, central to the general election campaign. I suppose, you know, Andy particularly, how do you assess the balance of how they put forward that public policy platform and independence? Mm. I think the the independence thing is really... I mean, they have to say something about it. Firstly, because they're at their party conference. Yeah. And your party conference, as we know, is the place where you see lots of stupid stuff that everybody knows is not going to happen, but it gets the activists <laughs> fired up and it gets everybody cheered in the hall, right? That is what party conferences what are for, stupid for stuff? all parties. They don't say stupid stuff, um, do they, and No, n- nobody could possibly accuse anybody of that. Um, <laughs> but it's a, strange, it's a strange game at the moment because actually everybody knows this is a lot of nonsense. They know it's something that they have to say uh, and they know they have to construct something that balances credibility uh, and popularity. But actually, they know it's not going anywhere. You know, 29 seats at the next election. You know, you may as well say, if we win 29 seats, we're going to take everybody for an all-inclusive week to the moon. Because it's roughly <laughs> the same probability level, if it actually happens, as getting a referendum. I mean, if you can't get a referendum with 64 seats, 48 seats and 45%, You're not going to get one if you have a massive loss. Now, everybody knows this. Everybody knows there isn't going to be a referendum for a pretty long time, double-digit numbers of years being optimistic on on their behalf. That is when, you know, that's the closest you're going to get to a referendum. So there is this sort of pretty strange sort of shadowboxing exercise where there is this requirement to create what, you know, and the the angst that goes into creating what can appear to be a credible policy. I think people are ahead of politicians on this now, though. I think out there in the country, people have moved on. I think they know there's not going to be a referendum. I think they know there's not going to be independence. And that's why you're starting to see, that's, I, I tell you, one manifestation of that, independence supporters are starting to vote for Labour. Now, If we really thought, if they really, really in their hearts thought there was going to be independence delivered soon, there was going to be a referendum delivered soon, they'd still be voting for the SNP. I think the voters are ahead of the politicians, not just in the SNP, but also in the Tory party as well, who go on about independence just as much as the SNP do. I think the voters are ahead. I think the voters know it's not going to happen. And I think over the next couple of years, the politicians after these elections are going to have to catch up. 
I think with that in mind, just worth mentioning some of the other policies as well from yesterday. Council tax freeze getting lots of the headlines, and that's understandable, and that's fine. Uh, but also, £500 million to create jobs and grow Scotland's offshore wind industry, as Jeff touched on earlier. £300 million to cut NHS waiting lists. That's £100 million a year for the next three years. £100 million to double Scotland's arts and culture budget. Uh, a freezing counter tax on the list from the SNP as well. Uh, and then the international bond that Andy mentioned too. I mean, there was the best part of a billion pounds committed yesterday, albeit in different sort of um, phases of time. Um, but it's, you know, it's pretty hefty, pretty hefty commitments from the, from the First Minister yesterday. It, it was. Do you know Do you know something that I, 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 when you were reading that out, there's, there's a... A bit of a saying in, in amongst political commentators that whatever you announce, if they're responding to you, then that's a good place to be in, regardless of how that response manifests itself. So I think, you know, we've talked about council tax, that's going to create a bit of a stushy, but ultimately it's a stushy about whether or not people are paying more and the SNP are on the side of saying people are not going to pay more, right? And um, so that's, you know, a much better platform to be in. In terms of the NHS, I think I'll bow to my my colleague Andy on this, who has been extremely vociferous on 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 this particular um, policy area. Um, you know, clearly it's a long-standing challenge that needs to be um, addressed. Whether this will have the desired outcomes in terms of reducing waiting lists, we shall wait and see. I, I wonder, we wonder if we should get Jean Freeman on again to to seek her views because yeah. very. Opinionated on this one announcement you didn't mention, Callum. Though, if I may, yeah. as an Aberdonian, and I was really pleased about was um, the, the four hundred thousand pounds to uh, this, the Union Street campaign, Save Our Union Street uh, campaign in Aberdeen, which is really well made. It's a, it's a great group of of businesses and third sector organisations seeking to revitalise the main artery of Aberdeen, which has. I'm sad to say, got into a dilapidated state of repair. Now, we might think that this is the sort of, um, you know, irrelevant type of nice bit of sop uh, announcement. But I tell you, going through my LinkedIn yesterday, that announcement's received more engagement than anything else. And it's, mm. and it's it reminds me back when I was in the uh, S&P myself, we always made sure when we did those traveling cabinets to different locations, we always had a series of announcements for the locations. It might be quite small, but they mean a lot to people, whether yeah. little infra- local infrastructure projects or supporting a community initiative or whatever it was. And I actually quite like that. There's 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 something in that. And, and perhaps we'll see more of that going forward, because that's actually if you, you come up to Aberdeen any time and speak to folk that have lived here for a considerable time, they'll all say, oh, bloody Union Street, it's, it really needs improved and all the rest of it. And so um, I did think that there's a, a, a lot to be said for a very modest expenditure of the £400,000 of that billion um, will probably get the more positive coverage or impact than the rest of it combined right now because it's something that means um, um, uh, a lot to people. And in there is the issue that Andy's been touching on. Talk to people's fears, concerns, needs um, and expectations more directly and you will have a more positive impact in terms of uh the outcome. So it'll be interesting to see if we have more of those local announcements going forward as the, the cabinet takes its the different airts and parts of the country. It's also notable that the SNP is backing a campaign to save our union. 
treat. Uh, let's also very mention, good, Callum. Very good. Your your brain's engaged o'clock. all of a sudden. <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was going to just mention in passing. You should get a morning radio show of some sort with that sort of morning That's- chatter. <laughs> What a great idea. Friday, Saturday and Sunday, Times Radio at 6am. Um, I also just wanted to mention the half a million pounds for uh, women's aid uh, to this this fund to help um, victims yeah. of domestic abuse escape, basically, uh, to get away. And that's that's kicking in pretty quickly, actually. That's available this year. Uh, some of the other things are kind of further down the line, including, Andy, that hundred million pounds a year for um, the NHS to help with waiting lists. Um, I mean, I don't like to leak our WhatsApp messages, uh, but you weren't overly you weren't overly enthralled by the uh, the more money for the NHS thing. Oh dear! Um, no, look, the the NHS has the NHS is is crumbling. Um, parts of it have already crumbled. Um, it is in need of enormous systemic change. Uh, the problems in our NHS are not primarily driven by money. That's not to say that more money can't uh, come to good effect. They're not primarily driven by money. They're primarily systemic uh, difficulties. Um, We put a fairly average amount of money into the health service um, compared to other OECD countries, but our outcomes are far, far poorer because we don't have capacity. Our problem, the reason we have very long waiting lists, the reason we have long waiting times is because we don't have capacity. We have a very small number of doctors and nurses compared to other countries. We have a very small number of MRI scanners and CT scanners compared to other countries. We train a very small number of doctors and nurses compared to other countries, uh, and that is why our outcomes are poorer. So um, what this £300 million will go to, I have absolutely no idea. But uh, the money that has been ploughed into the health service over many, many years by many, many different parties has been proven to have made absolutely no difference whatsoever. And in fact, the, uh, the mechanisms of expenditure in the NHS are so bad that sometimes putting more money in can actually make it worse. I know it seems difficult to believe, but it is actually the case. So whenever I look at any announcement by any party, because the Tories do it in London as well, which says we're going to put more money into the NHS to do this. I just close my eyes and hope it all goes away because the chance of it actually being successful is infinitesimally small. That was a pretty risky word for this time in the morning, but there you go, I've done it. <laughs> You've done very well, I thought. Uh, right, good. That is, An- that is Andy's take on the NHS. I think that just about ticks off most of Hamza Yusuf's um, uh, policy announcements then from his speech yesterday. Jeff, I was just going to mention on your on the delivery point, I, I, I do agree with you. I was in the room yesterday and uh, the, the thing about Hamza Yusuf, which I think there is consensus about, is that he's really lovely. He's good company. You know, on our podcast format, when we spoke to him in our episode back in uh, was that in August? It was in August. Uh, back in yeah. August, he was really, you know, he's great chat. He's he's good. He's personable. All of that, and that doesn't necessarily translate onto a stage when you've got several hundred people in front of you and you need to deliver it. And I I think there were moments of passion, but they sometimes felt a little forced. 
you're kind of like, I'm not sure this is coming naturally. Um, I mean, these are all things I suppose that can be can be smoothed out. And he got several standing ovations. You know, people in the audience were really, really enjoying what they were hearing. Um, and I think that, that that came across definitely yesterday in the room as well. Uh, there were empty seats. I mean, empty seat narrative I find slightly dull, but uh, there were empty seats um, in the hall as well. But, you know, that just speaks to the moment in time. Um, but I just thought I'd observe that I, I think I agree with you. Having sat in the room, it, it, it felt... It felt like there's room for improvement, but the substance of what you were saying went down well, I think. Yeah. Well, just just on that, I mean, I mentioned this earlier. You know, when I pitched up the SNP, Alex Salmond had had 10 years previously as leader of the party. So he'd done mm. at least 10 national conferences um, speeches and other spring conference speeches and set piece speeches. So he was a, an old hat at it by that point. And um, even then... You know, the preparation that went in, I don't think people realise that. I mean, he was absolutely steadfast, you know, um, uh, in terms of uh, bringing in the advisors, running things past folk, um, and the preparation was huge that went into it. And I was in the second period of, 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 of his tenure as SNP leader, and thus uh, when he became first minister. And, you know, Alec was a good speech giver, no, no doubt about it. He could give a really good barnstorming speech, but there was also the odd one or two that were weren't particularly impactful. Um, and, and even Nicola Sturgeon, I thought that when she started uh, in my period as Deputy First Minister, she had a few speeches that were quite stilted in delivery as well. And mm. by goodness, she polished up as well. And so I, I think we've got to put it in context. You know, this was his first um, speech of this uh, magnitude uh, where the, all the eyes are in you, not just uh, of the party faithful, but indeed, you know, you've got that guaranteed broadcast coverage. So uh, th th there's, there's, there's techniques, there are delivery um, uh, techniques that he can work on uh, going forward. I, I thought it was a good speech. I thought it was a great speech. It was a good speech. And, uh, and as I said earlier, it, it was more than enough to get him through and provide a stronger platform. But these are the things that folk around him will be saying, okay, um, let's see where we can improve going forward. We've actually not mentioned Nicola Sturgeon's surprise appearance on... Uh, what day was it? Monday. Gosh, <laughs> sorry, my brain is scrambled on the timeline. On Monday uh, conference, uh, we don't have a huge amount of time left on the, to do the pod, but I, I was just going to, it was surreal. It was surreal. The way it all happened, um, the crowd that gathered, uh, the way that she then work, work, worked her way around the conference venue, speaking to delegates, speaking to former staff as well at SNP headquarters staff, some of whom broke down in tears as they kind of hugged her and welcomed her back. Um, I mean, there was a suggestion from, from Hamza Yusuf and Nicola Sturgeon when asked. They both said that, you know, she wasn't overshadowing the day. I mean, just based on the reaction, there's absolutely no doubt that she overshadowed the day. That is just, I mean, that's perhaps just by default. Of course, she was always going to. It's Nicola Sturgeon showing up at SMP conference. But, it, you know, being there, it was, it was quite a bizarre thing. And nobody, Andy, was quite sure why it happened. <laughs> nobody could quite pin down what yeah, the purpose of I mean, it was. Uh, there may have been, I mean, I suppose we don't know the truth is we don't know exactly what conversations were had and with whom behind yeah. the scenes when this was all um, happening. Um, I suppose all I would say is that um, that conference was supposed to be about Hamza Yusuf. Uh, and Hamza Yusuf is not as well known as Nicola Sturgeon is. And so when you are trying to position yourself as the star of the show, and somebody who everybody knows is a bigger star pitches up, 
it just does make life difficult for you. So there may have been good reasons for why she was there. Um, I think if I had been, uh, if I'd had any influence, if I was in the SNP and I had any influence over that, I think I probably would have gone to quite significant extremes to prevent Nicola Sturgeon from turning up at conference. And I must be honest, I remember back in the days when Nicola Sturgeon took over, when she started to become very irked every time that Alex Salmond pitched up and overshadowed something that she was doing. And I have to be honest, that's the first thing I actually thought of when she when she turned up at, at conference was, you know, this is the well-trodden path, which we've seen at Westminster and Holyrood, of previous leaders not quite being able to just stay at home on the days they need to stay at yeah. home. It was put to her in the press huddle that she's becoming the Liz Truss of the SNP, <laughs> uh, which she didn't. She said she said she wasn't. Uh, Jeff, do you want to do thirty seconds on Nicola Sturgeon? What what did you make of it? Yeah, I I, 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 I can see where Andy's coming from. You know, had the context been, um, you know, a, a fantastic victory in. Um, Rother Glen and you know the handing of the baton was seamless and the SNP was running high in the polls and then of course mm-hmm. Nicola Sturgeon is the architect of so much success she'd come there and and um, and 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 receive the the appropriate accolades I just feel the context it could have been it, 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 listen it transpired it was fine you know and I don't think it's a major issue and it's a small thing in the grand scheme of things but you know on that day. And it was pre- previous to, to, to Hamza's speech. You, you know, I, I had a similar instinct, Andy, going, "Oh, this this could overshadow things," kind of thing. And uh, is that what Hamza really needs just now? You know. Um, but that said, I, I I don't think it's a major thing. And, and look, I see it from both sides, and I I just just had that little instinct. I thought, goodness me, I wouldn't mind if. Uh, uh, I could just get a free run at this if I was Homza and not worry about the, the stardom of my predecessor, <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's fair to say, uh, you know, his speech is dominating the headlines today. So it was the buzz of the day when she was there, but, you know, he, he put that back yeah. and, and, and did his speech. Uh, right, guys, thank you very much indeed. It's been a fun few days um, doing various things at around SMP conference in Aberdeen. Uh, hope you've enjoyed listening as well. We drop into your podcast feed every single week with insight and analysis on Scotch politics. Thank you for listening. You can follow and subscribe, of course, uh, and we will talk to you again next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Ando. And I'm Fer. And we host Niñas Bien Podcast. We want to invite you to listen to our show. Niñas Bien means good girls in Spanish. But you have to know that this is not a podcast for good girls. Or for girls at all. It is a comedy podcast. So everyone is welcome to listen. We talk about sex, relationships, technology. We recommend movies and TV shows and discuss pop culture in general. And there is Chisme Ajeno too. A section we have just to gossip about everyone. So you'll find something you like here. And you'll practice your Spanish. The cleanest Spanish you'll find, we promise. And if you already hablas español, vamos, vamos a, a ser tus, tus nuevas amigas. amigas.
We'll be your friends for the non-Spanish speakers. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Hosted by Acast and available to all audio platforms. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.